Hey there, I'm Brittany, and welcome to the Cape Cod Church Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about us, you can visit our website at capecodchurch.com. In the meantime, we hope you enjoy this message in our current series. Well, good morning. It is, uh, it's good to be with you, and I love singing and worshiping together. There's something about corporate worship and singing it is well it is well with my soul. How many of you, how many of you grew up singing it is well, it is well twice in a row? And you're just like, where's that second part? I got you. Yeah, you're, yeah, I'm with you. I got a little old school in me, um, but uh, wow, so, so beautiful. So if you have a Bible, uh, turn to John chapter 12 or in your device or whatever it is that uh, you use. And if you don't, don't worry about it. We're going to, we're going to put the verses on the screen and we're going to spend a good amount of our time in, in John chapter 12 referencing a few other places. Uh, we've been talking about the way of Jesus to the cross and to the resurrection, this, this series of events that happened uh, along the way. And really what they are is they, they've become to us living parables. Parables are interesting. Jesus talked in parables, but he also lived in parables, and that's what we're seeing in this series. And, and, and parables, parables start in mystery and end in clarity. They begin with a bit of, what just happened? What's he talking about? I don't get this story. What's the purpose? What's the meaning? But then when he's done... You say, ah, and sometimes you say, oh, right? That's the purpose of a parable. It begins with a, a bit of mystery, and it, it sneaks under our self-defensive posture, and it ends in clarity. And, and that's a little bit of what's happening in this passage in John chapter 12. It's a a living parable. Let me see if I can set the stage. It's dinner with friends. They're, they're sitting around the table, only in that culture. They didn't sit around the table. They, they sat on the floor. They reclined on the floor in the habit of the, uh, of the eastern lands. And they're, they're the, the, the expected group. It's the familiar group of friends. It's Mary and Martha and Lazarus and Jesus and all the disciples, they're, they're there. And it's just a few days uh, behind the story of the arrest of Jesus and the crucifixion and the resurrection. So it's sort of like dinner with, with friends and everything is normal. And Jesus is the guest of honor because, well, because he's Jesus. And Jesus is always the guest of honor. And, and they're, they're there. And then, then all of the sudden, this happens. And uh, let me read it to you, but, but I just want you to put yourself in the moment. You're, you're sitting there having a nice, normal conversation. You're just, you're just happy, and you're celebrating, and you're being friends, and things are normal. And then, well, this. John 12, verse 1, six days before the Passover celebration began, Jesus arrived in Bethany, the home of, of Lazarus, the man he had raised from the dead. In fact, from hereafter, every time John references Lazarus, he calls him Lazarus, the man 
who had been raised from the dead. That apparently was Lazarus' new middle name, the man who was raised from the dead, which I guess stands to, hey, have you met my friend Lazarus? He, how can you leave out? He used to be dead. Um, and John doesn't. He's, every time, he's the man who was raised from the dead. And so in verse 2, it says, a dinner was prepared in Jesus' honor, and Martha served. We've seen that picture before. And Lazarus was among those who who ate with him. And then, verse 3, this is where the story just gets weird. And then Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from the essence of nard, and she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the, the fragrance so it's this moment, everybody's sitting around, and this isn't, sometimes you read stuff in the New Testament, and you think, oh man, times have changed, that would be weird now. No, this was weird then too. This was, the, the, people were like, whoa, Mary, like slow down. Like, what are you, what are you doing? We were having a nice meal, and then, I mean, there's clearly, Everything stops when Mary walks in with this alabaster box of perfume and she anoints, it says, Jesus' feet, and then she wipes the perfume from his feet with her hair. It's an extravagant, unreasonable, culturally over-the-top, unexpected, unacceptable act. That's what it is. And everything stopped. People aren't laughing. People aren't telling stories. All eyes are fixed on this moment. And what happens next, I think, gives us at least two lessons that we can take with us from this sort of living parable. And there are for sure more than, than that. But I, I, I want to I wanna rest on these two because to understand the passage, you have to go from this moment and you have to go to the next verses. So let me read to you what happens next. In verse 4, it says, But Judas Iscariot, <laughs> the disciple who would soon betray him. John has a habit of giving people names that you can't miss. Lazarus, the guy who was dead, and Judas, the guy who betrayed Jesus. But he hasn't betrayed Jesus yet. Judas Iscariot, the disciple who would soon betray him, said, this perfume was worth a year's wages, and now we discover something we didn't know. We discovered that this perfume was worth a lot of money, 300 denarii, a year's worth of wages. Put that into your own context and then picture somebody walking in in this over-the-top, extravagant, and to Judas, showy display. Unexpected, unacceptable. And everybody knew it, but only G Judas would say it. And he says, this is not right. This, this extravagance, that was worth a year's wages. It could have been sold. And the money given 
to the poor. If we're just reading this and we don't know all of the story after, it would be fair to think she has a point. I mean, when he said it, it doesn't, it doesn't sound unreasonable. Think if you had a year's worth of savings in a bottle and somebody just poured it out. Like, really? Did... And the criticism seemed on the surface like, he has a point, Mary. What are you thinking? And he makes the point, it could have been given to the poor. True, I mean, it could have. He's not wrong. He's not even unreasonable. Like, I mean, maybe if you would put a couple of drops and then we could have, you know... And what we have here is we, we, we have the beginnings of a battle of accusations and motivations. Mary, you're, you're being unreasonable. You're being extravagant. You're, what's driving this? You're, it's not right. Your heart is not in the right place. Your motivations aren't pure. If you really cared about people, you wouldn't have done this. And it's this battle of motivation and accusation. And that's the reason why John, the biographer, is not done. Like John knows, like John is writing this years later and John was there, right? And so years later, he sits down and he writes about this story and he knows that everybody now knows who Judas was. Judas was the guy who would betray Jesus. And that's why he says, he's the guy who would betray Jesus. But just in case you missed that, just in case you might read the story and side with Judas, John, the biographer, writing years later about this moment, wants to reveal the true motivation. So in verse 6, it says, let me read verse 5. That perfume was worth a year's wages. It should have been sold and the money given to the poor. Verse 6, John adds an extra sentence. Not that he cared for the poor. He was a thief. And since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole some for himself. Do you see what John is doing? He's saying, don't buy into this guy's lies. This guy is full of it. Like you were thinking, oh, maybe I'll, you know, maybe I'll kind of, you know, it was a little bit extravagant, but don't, don't go there. Don't, don't go there. He says, no, 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 no. You need to know who you're dealing with here. This is a battle of, of motivations, accusations. And that's where I want to take a few moments today talking about motivation and checking our motivation the reason you're doing what you're doing because here's what's going to happen someone's going to criticize you for your faith and your motivations oh you just you just want this you just believe this you just hate this 
And there's a battle between motivation and accusation. And there's a, there's a tendency when, when, when living out our faith becomes culturally, it's unacceptable. It's unpopular, right? It's like, like doing this thing, living this way. We, we, we shrink back from it. We shrink back from living a life full of faith and expressing our faith fully in what he wants us to do and who he wants us to be. And so we, 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 we shrink back from it because we're, we're, we're afraid because, because living it fully would be, would somehow be unacceptable, unpopular. I, when the earliest years of our church, uh, when we were just getting started and meeting in a plumbing building, I had a job, uh, a friend, uh, not that I don't have a job now, but back then I had a job outside of the job, just in case you were, don't want somebody to quote me. And I was working in a wood shop. So a friend that we knew from where we had moved from said, hey, I could use, and it was a small wood shop. They did fine carpentry. They did, you know, cabinets, and uh, they did specialty trophies and stuff like this. And it was a small shop, and sometimes they would scale up to five or six people, but most of the time it was just three or four, and they needed a laborer. And so he says, hey, do you want to you come work? And it paid a little bit more than minimum wage. I don't even remember what that was. And so I, I took the job. I knew them. They were, they were good people, and it was flexible to my schedule. And so I would drive there and I would work in the switch shop. Now, you probably have guessed, I know nothing about woodworking. I'm not, but I can do what I'm told, generally speaking, within reason, and I was happy to do it. And it was kind of interesting being around this group of guys who were really, really skilled woodworkers. I mean, they were just, they were all, I mean, I looked at the stuff they made and I'm like, how did this become, this become that? And, and I would watch what they were doing and I was just fascinated with it. And I thought, you know, while I'm here, I'm going to, I'm going to learn to be, you know, a, a, a woodworker. I'm, I'm, getting, I'm getting good at this. And, and I was picking up tips and tricks along the way. And my father had always been handy. And I hadn't really picked that up. And I thought, this is, this is where I'm going, to, I'm going to get better. And then one day we were on lunch break and, and we're sitting around. There's like me and then there's three other guys. And I'm looking around the table and they start, they start laughing. They're, 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 they're talking about how one guy had lost a part of his finger woodworking. And then they all started showing their hands and all of them were missing pieces of their fingers. <laughs> Every one of them. And this is when I had my come to Jesus moment. <laughs> like, they're like, they're like, hey, you know, that was a bandsaw. You know, this was a kickback. And then they said, Ben, if you're in woodworking long enough, you'll lose a finger too. And that was a perfect moment of clarity for me. I realized I'm getting out of here as soon as I can. Because instantly, I mean, to this day, whenever I work with tools, my number one goal is not to build something beautiful. My number one goal is don't lose a finger. I just, I determined that my fingers were more important to me than whatever it is I could possibly be making. Now, this will sound like a weird way to illustrate where I'm going with this. But it is entirely possible to live your life for Jesus Christ in the fear of not losing something. 
And it's a horrible way to live. You will, you will miss out on what he made you for. Because there are some things, and woodworking is not one of them, but there are some things that are worth losing everything for. And Jesus Christ is that one thing. And sometimes we have to step back in the moment where we feel that, 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 that tension, that, that conflict, that, that sense that I'm about to do something that's, that's extravagant or unexpected or unacceptable. And, and, and people are going to kind of, they may look funny and, and you're going to feel that, that tension of, of living your faith out. There's a part of you that's going to be afraid. And all I'm saying is don't be afraid. Now listen, listen, don't take this wrong. Don't be weird either. Jesus hasn't called you to be weird. He doesn't say blessed are the weird or the angry or the caustic or the isolated. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is check your motivation when it's pure. Don't be afraid. Just go. And it feels extravagant, if it feels unexpected, if, it's, if it feels risky and costly. And your motivation is pure. Do it. If you lose a finger, it's okay. How many places are going to tell you that? It's okay to get your finger cut off, right? It's not okay for woodworking. But... But if living my life fully for Jesus Christ means suffering some kind of loss, that is worth it. Now, what in the world could cause someone to such extravagant displays of affection? That Mary would, 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 would walk in with a Years worth of income bottled up in drops of liquid and pour it all out in one extravagant, unreasonable display. What causes a person to do that? And I think to, to really understand that, you have to go to these, these next verses. We pick up in, in verse, uh, verse 7. Because now it's Jesus' turn to talk. John is done giving us the backstory, and now he wants to tell us what Jesus said. And Jesus replied to Judas and anyone else who might side with him, leave her alone. Uh-oh. Leave her alone. In my period, there's a trans, there's a, in my translation, there's a period right there. I don't know how long of a pause there was after that. Leave her alone. But he's not done. He, he then, here's the parable. She did this in preparation for my burial. <laughs> Oh, you will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have 
me. Oh, well, Jesus, what? What? Leave her alone. She did it in preparation for my, for my burial. Burial? What are we talking about? Burial? Burial? But looking back, there, 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 there's something happening here, and, 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 and there's imagery you don't, you don't want to miss. And so Jesus introduces this word burial, but, but John, knowing this story, has already introduced this concept because back up at the beginning when he says that she came in and she anointed his feet, he uses the word that was used for anointing with burial spices. In fact, some people have thought that this was like the anointing of a king with oil, but it's not because it's not oil, it's perfume, and it's a different word. It's the word that's used for anointing someone with burial spices. And John sees this whole story wrapping together. And Jesus now says, oh, she's doing this for my burial. You'll have plenty of time to give to the poor, but me you will not always have with you. Jesus, what in the world are you talking about Burials. There's something else that's interesting here, and you just you've you've got to see the symmetry. So Mary comes in and she pours out this perfume, like a, a whole bottle of this perfume, and the room is full of the smell. But all of this story is built on the story that comes just just literally almost hours before, days before. If you go to the chapter just before in John chapter eleven, Lazarus was dead. That's where this whole story comes from, because in John chapter eleven. Mary and Martha's brother is sick and they've sent for Jesus and Jesus doesn't come. And when Jesus finally shows up, he says to Martha, do you remember this? Hey, Martha, roll the stone away from the tomb. And what does she say? Oh no, Jesus, he's been dead for four days. Surely he stinketh like the room is full of the odor of Death, And here, a chapter later, Mary is filling the room with the odor of perfume. There's this picture of burial and death that's happening here. And do you remember what it was that Mary said when Jesus showed up and Lazarus was already dead? She looks at Jesus and she says, if you had been here, you wouldn't have died. It's like the, the, the relationship is about to rupture. We thought we could count on you, and we can't count on you. Your own friend, you're out there healing everybody else, but your own friend is on death's door, and you can't even hurry it up and get here. And Jesus says, oh, he'll rise again. And she says, yeah, when everybody dies. And Jesus says, take him to his tomb. Open it. Martha objects. Jesus overrides her objection. They open the tomb. And what does Jesus say? Lazarus, <laughs> come forth. Next thing we see, they're sitting around the table eating supper. What surer sign is there a guy that's been raised from the dead and he's doing pretty well than he's just eating supper? And then in walks Mary this extravagant display. So there's something happening here that we're left to wonder. <laughs> Jesus says, she did it for my burial. Because we know Jesus was going to die just a few days from them, but they didn't know. And don't make the mistake of thinking that somehow Mary had figured it all out. She hadn't. She didn't know. You know what she knew? 
She knew who she believed in. That was it. I don't have any idea what's going on. I don't know how this plan's going to work. I don't know what Jesus is going to do next. She hadn't figured out the crucifixion. She certainly hadn't figured out the resurrection. Everything about the crucifixion and the resurrection shows us that she hadn't figured it out. But she knew this. She knew once and for all who she believed in. That was settled. And this was her moment to simply like cement the deal. Like I'm going to declare it. I'm going to put myself on record. I'm taking all of my chips, all of my perfume, and I'm putting it right on Jesus in the most extravagant display of faith that I can possibly muster. She was all in. And this moment was like her moment to to, to settle it. It was like her step of faith. All through Scripture, we see steps of faith like that, right? You remember Joshua in the Old Testament with the priests? They had to, the, the, the River Jordan didn't separate until they dipped their toe in it. The walls of Jericho didn't come down until they had marched around it day after day after day. In the New Testament, Jesus comes to the Father whose son has been possessed. And the Father says, Can you heal my son? And he says, If you believe, do you believe? And the father had to declare his belief. Or to the man who was, who was blind, and he says, what do you want me to do? And he, the man had to declare it. There was, there was something about that moment, that declaration, that, 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 that step, that act of faith. And this was, this was Mary's. This was Mary going all, all in. A couple of years ago, I was building some uh, fencing out in the backyard, and I had I dug the holes and put the poles in, but they didn't set quite right. So I went and got concrete, right? And I, I, I poured out the bag and I mixed it with water. And I said, it's never moving, right? It's there. Hope the next people that own the house like the fence, right? Because it's there, it's stuck. But I bought more concrete than I needed. So I had one of these like big, I don't know, like if, I feel like 500 pounds, but it's probably 50 or 70. And I, so I had an extra and in my mind, I was going to return it, but that, that didn't happen. It just kind of sat in the garage through a winter and through a summer and through a winter. And I don't know, somehow like, like, like moisture. And I didn't, like, we didn't pour water on it, but something got to it. And I went to pick it up. And it's like a 500-ton block of concrete now. It's just done. It was like set. So when I sell the house, you get a house and a block of concrete because it's never moving. It's there. It's set. It's an anchor. And that's what this was. This was, this was an anchor. This was an all in. This was like, listen, I don't know what's happening. I don't know how this story is going to end. Cause there's a lot of people, there's a lot of people that don't like Jesus. But I found someone I believe in. And I'm all in. I'm all in. You see, many of you can remember that moment that, that, Jesus had been knocking at the door of your heart. He'd been knocking, knocking, knocking. And you can remember the moment you said yes to him. Some of you were sitting right here in this room, watching online. And you had to walk through objections and fears and questions. And, or maybe you were sitting in a starting point class. Your starting point had finished and you were driving home and you just got to a point, or maybe it was you, you, were, you were a young person and, and you heard that clear call 
and you said yes to Jesus Christ. There's something about that moment. That's why I like this passage, and I'll finish with this. In Romans chapter 10 and verse 9 and 10, I've, I've, I've paraphrased this verse probably more than any other verse uh, I've, uh, I've quoted at Cape Cod Church, but I, I just wanted to read it to you because it's, it's, this same, it's the same principle. And if, listen, you may, you may be here listening to all this, taking all this in, and, and you've been on kind of that journey, and, and there's this sense that, that God is knocking at the door of your heart, that Jesus is calling you, but you, you, you've been reluctant, and maybe you're reluctant because you're afraid of losing a finger, and I get that, that there's, a, there's an intimidation, there's a fear, factor, like, what is this going to cost me? And I'm not here to tell you it's not going to cost you anything. I don't know what it's going to cost you, but I do know this. It's worth it. I know it's worth it. That's why I love this passage. Here's what it says. Romans chapter 10 and verse 9, it says, If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Verse 10 doubles down on it. Here's how it says it. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God and it's by openly declaring your faith that, that you are saved. There, there's something about this work. Listen, the work is all Jesus. It's all Jesus. It's none of us. All we're doing is saying yes to the gift that he's given. But, but when, you, when you sense him knocking at your heart and you know that's what I believe in, I don't have everything figured out. My goodness, I don't have everything figured out. I don't have tomorrow figured out. but I have someone I believe in, in Jesus Christ. And when you're there, that, that there, that place, that moment of faith, where that, that spark that he has put in your heart, you respond to it and you say, yes, yes. It's a declaration of faith. It cements it, it seals it. For many people will... We'll have a baptism service coming up here soon. We do one in the ocean and one in the auditorium. But it's a moment. It's a declaration. And, and just to be clear, it's not the moment of our salvation, but it's a sealing. It's a settling. It's a, it's a celebration of what, of what Jesus Christ has done. It's an, it's an all-in picture of what he's done for us. So what are you going to do with that? What are you going to do with that? Maybe you're here and you can look back and you say, Ben, I remember that all-in moment. I remember the moment I said yes to Jesus Christ. But maybe you've been living your faith simply not to lose anything. And it's just become kind of half-hearted. And I don't know what that means for you. I, I do know that he's worth losing everything over. And I do know this, that after years of doing this, I have, I, I could look at you and I could say, have I lost some things over? Yeah, I guess. But I'd be embarrassed to tell you what I lost because I feel like I got so much more. Like, like how, does it, how does it compare? So what is he, what is he calling you to do? Maybe, maybe you're here. And he's knocking at the door of your heart, waiting for you to say yes.
And maybe this is your moment. Can we pray together? We have that tradition of bowing our heads, of closing our eyes. It's a a simple tradition to try and block out for a moment the distractions around me. The things that could keep me from listening and hearing the still small voice, the whisper of God that's calling. And maybe you just need these moments like Mary just to, to, to kneel before Jesus and just to extravagantly give yourself to him. And maybe you're ready to say yes to Jesus once and for all, to make him your Savior. If that's you sitting wherever you're at or watching online, then I just want to invite you in this quiet moment to take the belief that's in your heart and declare it in a simple prayer. You can pray that prayer between you and God. He hears you. I'm going to lead in a prayer, but I just want to preface it by saying this. It's not my words. It's your faith placed in Jesus Christ. You might pray something like this. Dear God, I hear you. I want to invite you into my life to open the door to say yes to Jesus Christ as my Savior. I believe that Jesus Christ died on a cross so that I could be forgiven. And I believe that he rose from the grave proving Once and for all, Jesus, you are who you said you were, the only begotten Son of God. And today, I say yes to you. Help me now to live my life fully for you. In Jesus' name, Amen. Would you stand with me? We're going to sing a song together. If you're here, or you're watching online, and you just took that step of faith, inviting Jesus Christ into your life, saying yes to him, then I want to invite you to share that with us. Uh, is a way of celebrating with you what God is doing. And so in the chair in front of you, there's a little communication card, connect card, and there's a place on it that says, I've committed my life to Christ. Here's all you got to do. Just take that card, fill it out, check off that box, take it to the welcome desk in the lobby. We've got a Bible and a reading guide we're going to send you home with to celebrate. It's kind of a way to get started on the next step of the journey. And if you're watching online, you can fill out the same connect card, do the same thing. We'll 
we'll send it to you. But we want to celebrate this move of God in your life in the best way we know possible by giving you the book that he gave to us to show us how to live our lives fully. Thanks for tuning in to this message from our current series. If this is your first time listening, we'd love to meet you in person. We have services every Sunday at 10 a.m. in East Falmouth, Massachusetts, or join us for our Sunday live stream on YouTube at the same time. If you enjoyed the Cape Cod Church podcast, we hope you'll consider leaving us a review so that other people can discover us too. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or TikTok. Thanks again for tuning in, and I'll see you on the next episode.